This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Behind the Markets on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Jeff Weniger, Director of Asset Allocation at WisdomTree, and I'm joined by phone by host Jeremy Schwartz, Director of Research at WisdomTree. And you know Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel, Stocks for the Long Run, Future for Investors. Please note that I'm a registered representative of Foresight Fund Services and that Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to WisdomTree. Our discussion today is not a recommendation for any trading strategy, nor is it tied to any sale of any investment product. The views of of our guests are not those of WisdomTree or any of its affiliates. We have a great guest today. You know who it is. It's Dave Rosenberg. We're going to introduce him in a little bit. But first, we're going to go to Professor Siegel, who's on the line. We had a lot of things going on this week. We had a little bit of a GDP uh, action. We had the ECB decision, which was midweek, corporate earnings. Professor Siegel, what's the score? (laughs) You're absolutely right. This this is really interesting. Let's zero in. I think the GDP is perhaps the... uh, the, the biggest news over here. Um, it came in, I mean, those who have been listening to me, I was on the high side, and I said around two, I think, even last week, and it did come in right at that, uh, you know, two level. I think uh, the biggest, uh, which was above expectations, 2.1, I think the biggest uh, surprise um, were the revisions, um, and particularly the big a downward revision of fourth quarter GDP. Now, what that meant was the uh, Trump's much ballyhooed three percent growth rate of 2018 is uh, is is off is now not uh, history. It's two and a half, a big downward revision. Now there was some bump up in 2017, and he was president during then. So. But his, his GDP during the whole period certainly is not bad. Um, in fact, it's it's quite good given that, you know, we're 10 years out into an economic expansion. But, um, you know, clearly the 3% growth, which was quite remarkable, uh, he just made it on the original data on 3%, <laughs> which is what he wanted to do, uh, really now is, is, is quite off the mark. Now, as far as let's, let's concentrate on what this means uh, for the Fed next week. Um, uh, a lot of people, have, uh, the first commentary, oh, my goodness, the economy isn't that weak, and it is true. You look at the real data. Uh, jobless claims uh, looked very, very strong uh, yesterday. Um, this GDP number is strong. A little bit more inventory build, which is tamped down this quarter, third quarter GDP estimates, by just a tenth or two by most um, forecasters that I follow, still about 2.1, 2.2 looking at the, this third quarter. Of course, we just, just moved uh, into it. We're just uh, into July on, on this quarter. Now, um, the re- I definitely think they're going on a quarter um, uh, with very strong probability. As, now, as opposed to 50 basis points? And yeah, I don't think definitely on this number they, they cannot go 50. Not that I mean, actually, I've been saying they should go 50, and I still think so because of the term structure, but they're not going to go 50. Let me say one thing that is really important in, in this report. Um, even though GDP um, number came in quite strong in the second quarter, um, the personal consumption expenditure deflator, 
which is just a fancy name for the inflation index that the Fed follows, actually came in below estimates. Um, And uh, we're going to be getting tomorrow the actual estimate for uh, the um, uh, June uh, uh, personal consumption expenditure, but that's the one that they target. When they, when you hear that the Fed has the two percent target, uh, and that they, that that is the index that they target, that is falling further below their expectation. So all those doves that are going to be in favor of of you know they're going to you're going it's, it's going to be a very spirited discussion. You know the real economy is not really deteriorating yet. The inflation index is not meeting that expectation. Now, other inflation indexes are consumer prices and a few others. I won't go into them, but the the Fed is very explicit about the one they follow. And the one that they follow uh, is actually falling uh, even further short of the 2% uh, target that they have. It was mentioned, uh, by the way, by the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the government in their report that they have redone – uh, the cost of uh, mobile phone uh, service, and uh, when they put in all the discounts and all the extra benefits that people get, it is uh, going down in price more than they uh, had originally anticipated. That's one of the reasons why the PCE is moving uh, downward. Um, with the GDP number on inflation uh, is actually mo- moved up considerably. But GDP includes exports, includes government services, includes investment goods. That's not what the Fed is targeting. So the index that the Fed follows is actually falling further short of the 2%. That is going to embolden all the doves on the committee say, hey, come on, that's what we're supposed to be, and we're not there. Um, and as a result, that's why I think, uh, you know, 25 basis points is, is uh, slam dunk. Well, Professor Siegel, uh, for there, uh, next week, there there is a lot of discussion, and we're looking at the tape here. The S and P's at three thousand twenty three. Um, it seems like just yesterday, ten years ago, we were bottoming out at six sixty six on that index. It, it, does <laughs> yeah. it surprise you that even with with the deterioration in some of these inflation indicators that you're seeing, it's not exactly Armageddon out there? You know, the justification for even having a debate between twenty five and fifty basis points. It, is it a little surreal to you? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you see, there's, there's, it, it's, it, there are two groups at the Fed. And if you take a look at the June dot plot, which indicates what the FOMC desires the Fed funds to, ra- to be at the end of the year, I, uh, it, it, what they said in June was I had never seen anything like it. Basically, half the committee says there's no reason to move it down. And half the committee said 50 basis points by the end of the year. Um, and there was only one person in the middle, <laughs> which is a bifurcated, bimodal, which I have never seen before. Um, so that's the group. There's the, the Phillips curve group that says the economy is strong, unemployment is near all-time lows or at all-time lows. We can get pressure on the labor market. That's the traditional Fed view. There's no reason. Then there is the term structure group. <laughs> And uh, they're really led by James Bullard uh, of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Um, But there are others um, that uh, are also very sensitive to that. And we did invert the term structure. The short-term rate should be below the long-term interest rate. It is not. 
and they said, you know, basically there we really needed fifty uh, a fifty point drop uh, on Fed funds. I mean, um, the the peg rate is two thirty five. It should be one eighty five because the ten year is two oh five. We should have at least twenty basis points between the two. So you're, you're, the war is between the term structure group and the traditionalist uh, Phillips curve group. Now, the traditional Phillips curve group, as we know, has not been forecasting very well recently. They've been saying for years that we're about to get wage inflation, and we haven't. So that group is a little discredited, and that's one reason why the term structure group uh, has grown to the uh, strength that it has, that I think it's about one half of the open market committee at the present time. Okay, beautiful. This this seems like a perfect opportunity to bring in Rosie. If you don't know Rosie, it's Dave Rosenberg. You, you probably knew him years ago when he was over at Merrill. That's that's how I, in my early part of my career, got got acclimated with him when he was essentially running the show over there. Went over to Gluskin. You know, Gluskin Chef is the Toronto operation. Um, Rosie is has a cult following, a huge subscriber base with the Breakfast with Dave group. Um, it's the morning missive. I don't even know how the guy finds enough time in the day to put together these 7 to 14 page write-ups every single day. And you read it, and it's just as intriguing as the previous day. I, I, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And as you'll see as we get into this, and Professor Siegel, I'd like you to stay on the line. Uh, Rosie has First an insightful... Hour, so I, yes, and I definitely want to hear his interpretation of, of uh, events. Well, Dave, Dave, you're a talker. What's the score? What do you, what do you think about what, what Professor Siegel just said? Well, I really don't have any uh, fundamental disagreement um, with uh, the characterizations, certainly, certainly of the Fed, uh, and we know it's a very divided Fed. Uh, so starting off on that, I think that uh, what's important here, there's a couple things. Uh, uh, I'm actually quite happy that um, Powell seems to have signaled that the Fed is no longer data-dependent. Uh, I've never really liked that philosophy because if you're following the data, um, you're destined to make a policy mistake uh, because the data are backward looking and the impact that Monterey policy exerts on the real economy, those lags are long, variable, and uh, insidious, and they can last anywhere from 12 to 36 months. So you're just doomed to be making a mistake if you're following the data. Uh, You know, let traders and economists Uh, and pundits follow the data, the Fed should really be forecast dependent. And um, it's not about a point forecast. Uh, The Fed didn't make a lot of fundamental changes to its published forecast. What it did verbally is tell you that um, the comfort zone or the band of uh, certainty around their forecast has changed materially over the course of the past few quarters. And and that's really important because if you go to a portfolio manager uh, and you say, you know, this is my base case, but I've changed my probability of it happening from 80% odds to 40% odds, even without making a numerical change to your view, uh, they're going to make some changes to how their portfolio is constructed. So I think that's very important. Um, you know, the you know the Fed um, has been consumed with the neutral funds rate. Uh, I was rather surprised that... Um, uh, that uh, Jay Powell came in because he's not an academic. Uh, he's a credit markets guy, and he comes in guns blazing talking about how far the Fed is from neutral. Uh, and in fact, it was on October the 3rd of last year, uh, after the rate hike in September, where he said that uh, we're a long way from neutral and we may have to go above neutral. And that's really when the Trump tweets started going um, wild. Uh, and then, of course, for the first time ever, the Fed tighten policy into a market maelstrom, 
uh, in December. Um, I've done a lot of work on the neutral funds rate. Uh, and I remember that Lyle Brainerd, uh, you know, the governor on the Fed, um, talked about uh, the what's really important for monetary policy is the short-term neutral funds rate. And I've done my own work on where observable or measurable inflation is in the United States. I think most of the scholarly research would say that uh, the funds rate in real terms, that is, uh, at neutral equilibrium, is around 0.5%, 0.6%. I mean, I get the uh, neutral funds rate uh, closer to 1.5% than 2.5%. And uh, one of the first things that Jay Powell did when he came in was the Fed, after years of cutting their estimate of the neutral funds rate, it's hard to believe that just about seven, eight years ago, their estimate of neutral was four and a quarter. (laughs) People tend to forget that. And they got, got as low... As two and three quarters, then Powell comes in, they go to three. I think that was a classic mistake. And now they're back to two and a half, and they're still too high. So when people are debating, well, you know, should the Fed do this, should the Fed do that? Well, I think there's two things. They're operating policy based on their forecast, not on the lagging indicators or coincident indicators. And Powell said something very interesting in the second day of his congressional testimony a couple of weeks ago where he had acknowledged that the Fed over-tightened. Uh, and, of course, uh, that means that they're probably going to have to take the neutral funds rate uh, prediction down even more. I think they over-tightened by 75 to 100 basis points. I think just to get down to neutral, uh, that's where they have to be. And, and I think that that's probably what they're going to be doing, uh, whether or not we get a recession. And that's pretty well already priced in uh, to the futures curve. So I don't think that um, you know we differ too much on the interpretation of the Fed. Uh, I'm certainly lining up more dovishly uh, than hawkishly. You know, I know that, uh, you know, there was the comment about, and you're seeing it all over the media today about, well, geez, should the Fed cut rates at all next week or certainly just go 25, which I think they were leaning to. Uh, but make no mistake, today's GDP number uh, was pretty mixed. Uh, it was heavily influenced, of course, by the 70% of the GDP pie called uh, the consumer, uh, which was up at a 4.3% annual rate. Uh, we have to take that in the context of two quarters previously, each one barely more than 1%. But what has me a little concerned here was how that 4.3% growth in consumer spending, which seems like a lovely number, uh, how that was really constructed. <clears throat> because we know that real after-tax income uh, was only up at a 2.5% annual rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was really funded by a drawdown in the personal savings rate. Of course, you could see that in the very strong numbers that we've gotten of late in terms of uh, revolving and non-revolving consumer credit. Um, but if we had held consumer spending to the rate of growth of organic income, uh, that wouldn't have been 4.3%. It would have been 25 And real GDP would not have been 2.1%. It would have been 1.0%. Uh, and we'd be talking about a stall-speed economy. So I think that uh, the, the, the tenor behind uh, what happened on the consumer um, leaves me relatively unimpressed. Uh, and then you take a look at some of the other components of the report. Uh, you know, real exports down 5.2% in annual rate. Uh, for the first time in three years, uh, capital spending, business investment was negative 06 and even with the dramatic uh, downturn in mortgage rates, all the heavy lifting that the bond market did to get mortgage rates down, here we have residential investment or housing, negative 1.5%. I mean, housing in the GDP accounts has contracted now for six consecutive quarters. 
Uh, and we haven't seen something like that since um, 08, 09. And, and, and housing decidedly weak in places like Manhattan, San Francisco, almost a, a little bit of a follow-on to, to what you, you've seen, um, certainly in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, that, do you think that could end up being one of those next developments that kind of acts as a, as a little bit of a black cloud um, over, over generalized sentiment? Well, I actually think that what really jumped out at me in this report that has me concerned is, uh, I mean, not so much the, um, the housing. I think at some point we're going to level off in the next couple of quarters. Um, and it's not necessarily the consumer, although what I'm trying to say is that that was what I would refer to as a low-quality 4.3 in consumer spending. It was the drawdown of the savings rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the reality is that uh, income was only up 2.5%, which isn't terrible. But it shows you that um, the extent to which consumption growth outpaced um, uh, real income growth. Uh, what catches my eye here is the decline in uh, business spending. And uh, my thesis all along has been that this will be a capital spending-led recession. Uh, I think the trade uh, tensions and tariffs, uh, I mean, that's really an added source of aggravation. But uh, I always say after a, uh, a Fed easing cycle, follow the bubble. Uh, and then, of course, when we get the Fed tightening cycle, you tend to find that the bubble uh, tends to... Um, either burst or certainly uh, see the helium come out of it. And the bubble this time around was on corporate balance sheets, not household balance sheets. So uh, there's a whole host of reasons why capital spending um, is being is weakening. Uh, a lot of it, of course, comes down to the general um, global uncertainty politically and economically, but also the reality is that this is the first year of five years where we're going to have a tsunami of uh, corporate debt refinancings and so we're going to be finding a lot of the cash flows being diverted to debt service, even under this low interest rate environment, and away from capital spending. Well, uh, I want to. Ca- sorry, I, and I'll just make the point that you see this in the past in other cycles. Capital spending uh, will lead to uh, declines in employment, or certainly weaker employment conditions. We've seen that lately. You know, look at the Jolt survey. Look at the. High, I know that the professor is right. The jobless claim numbers were very low. Uh, nobody wants to fire because, you, you know, we don't have any talent left in the labor pool. So you want to hang on to your best talent. Um, but the hiring rate is slowing down materially. Uh, and the one thing that caught my eye in the latest ADP number is that small business employment has contracted now for each of the past two months. And small business employment is a great leading indicator uh, for the labor market and the economy. And that's starting to roll over. And held up as for, for some time as one of the support structures for the U.S. economy. Ladies and gentlemen, who you're listening to, that's the voice of Dave Rosenberg. He's the chief economist and strategist at Gluskin Chef. He's going back and forth here with Professor Siegel from Wharton. This is, this is a beautiful thing. And what I want to do is I want to make sure that we can stay on the rates subject because I feel like we cut off Professor Siegel a little bit on rates. You know, there was allusions you just made, Rosenberg, to um, uh, this chase down a little bit, the, the, the currency wars. You had made a, a brief reference a little bit there to Trump being, um, you know, the, the tweeter in, in chief with, with his conflicts with, with Jay Powell. You're on business radio here behind the market. Sirius XM 132. Professor Siegel, one basis point on a 20-year German boon. What, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and uh, on a 10-year, it's minus 37. <laughs> but, I, you know, I do want to go back um, just to understand. Uh, David, you think the neutral real Fed funds rate is it, uh, d- that it's negative 
one half to give you a one and a half nominal. I was a little confused on what is what is your real neutral Fed funds rate. Well, real, I'd put it uh, 0.5.6. Okay. And then okay. Uh, and then the question becomes, you know, what is the core core inflation rate? What so much of the uh, CPI and PCE are imputed by the government statisticians. Uh, but if you looked at inflation for the goods and services, they can actually uh, measure relatively precisely. Uh, you know, underlying inflation is closer to 1% than this to 1.5 or 2. Uh, and so that's why I say that, that my estimate of where the neutral nominal is probably close to 1.5 as opposed to where the Fed's published is right now, which is 2.5. So you think that inflation is just being overstated. By the way, yeah. I, you know, I've been saying for a long time, one of the big phenomenons of the last 10 years is the collapse of real interest rates, both on the long end and on the short run. And I totally agree with you. The Fed has been way slow at lowering their long-term neutral rate, really lagging. I mean, I have to give Bill Gross credit. Remember, he he talked about the new neutral. Uh, He said it was zero on real. Uh, Back, I think it was 2014, uh, when he said, and the Fed was, as you said, the Fed was like, you know, two, three, four, way up there. And he said, guys, we're in a, a new world that's much lower interest rate. You know, personally, I think it, I think it could be zero or not. Now, you're redefining the, the inflation rate, so in a way we could both adjust that one way or the other. But uh, given the published inflation rate, I think uh, the new neutral is zero, maybe even minus 0.5%. I mean, I think... You know, you take a look around the world, and you took, take a look at, uh, you know, the level of risk aversion and savings habits and everything. Um, but I think the Fed is way too high then. And I think that you're right. What happened was Powell, you know, took the Fed's level, which was way too high, said, oh, well, uh, you know, unemployment is so low, therefore we should be there and maybe even a little above there. That was the standard Phillips curve story. And uh, then the market sort of punched him into, hey, guys, that's too high. That okay. neutral rate that you're thinking of is too high. And as you know, the, the Fed itself lowered, a, a, it was a big lowering between March and June, and they may lower it again when we get to uh, September, the next uh, meeting, which of course is going to be a really interesting meeting um, on whether they're going to go that remaining 25. I totally agree with you. The Fed should, the short rate should be lower, um, and the, the neutral rate is lower, and the Fed is really slow at at, at recognizing um, that level. Um, that said, how weak are we? I mean, it, it is true investment has been slow. Housing has been slow. The consumer really saved this. So in a way, the details of this report are not great. There was also uh, more inventory accumulation expected, which is also a detail that does not make the future. And that is another reason why I think the Dove's you know, have a, have a great case of uh, let's let's continue moving uh, this rate down. Now, does this lead? Do you think this will lead to negative real GDP growth, um, David? This in the next two three quarters, um, or just sort of what we sometimes call a growth recession, which is zero to one percent uh, type of a GDP. Yeah. Uh- I mean, I wouldn't be surprised in the next, say, three to four quarters that we see a flat to negative print. Um, I think that this 
coming recession is not going to be defined really by uh, the magnitude uh, or the peak to trough weakness uh, in GDP as much as um, uh, the duration and how difficult it's going to be for uh, monetary and fiscal policy to get us out of this. Um, so I would say this much, um, you know, without getting into, you know, whether or not we get a, a negative number that ultimately gets revised anyway. You know, I can't believe how many people today, and I've seen some published reports and uh, and on uh, on TV uh, talking about how well we we can breathe a sigh of relief because there's no recession. Uh, again, these are these are coincident numbers that we're looking at right now. They don't give you a lot of window on the future. And I'll tell you this: uh, data back to 1948, um, you'd be surprised to know that. Uh, uh, that you know, in the month before the in the quarter before the recession, uh, GDP isn't negative. Uh, and mm-hmm. actually, if you go and I'm looking at the ten different you know recessions in the post World War II experience, you'd find that uh, as the recession is beginning, and I'm talking about either the quarter before the recession starts or the quarter that the recession starts, uh, that the median GDP growth rate for that quarter is 2.4. And the average is 3.2. Well, um, I agree with you 100%. In fact, yeah. not that, it is months and months later when they turn, actually call the turning point. The turning point of the recession, if I remember, was December 17, uh, two, uh, two, excuse me, 2007, um, was is, uh, the NBER peak of the last business. In December of 2007, no one thought there was a recession or even on the horizon. In fact, the Fed meeting and the staff said there's no recession coming up. So, yeah. Now, with that said, some people have asked me, is this the longest economic expansion in history? It has to last to this month. <laughs> and, you know, when we look back, would this, could this be the turning point? It could. It definitely could. I would say as the data is coming in, it doesn't look like July is maybe the turning point, but uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, The the past GDP is not a a relief that's saying there isn't a recession coming up. Now, that being said, I don't see one. I also think, uh, you know, that I think there's – the Fed has enough – silver bullets. I mean, they're enough above zero. They can go back to QE. I mean, none of this is, you know, will solve everything, but they certainly have far more latitude than the Japanese or the Europeans by a mile in terms of if we do actually see a downturn. Now, I don't think they're going to be downturned that severely unless we get a trade war, which I don't think is going to happen because of political reasons. Um, I would just very much uh, solicit your view on on uh, on that issue too. But uh, I, I still think the Fed has. I mean, just a quarter point or a half point is going to enough encourage the market, and they can go down even further unless there's some inherent problem that is really going to cause a crumbling of economic growth. Dave Rosenberg, give us a 30 seconds, and then we're going to go over to a break. Well, look, I think that the economy is, um, is is weaker than most people think. I think we have to take a look. Uh, we had first quarter growth, 3.1. Uh, second quarter growth we got today was 2.1. Uh, and yet, as I said before, if if you you know if you strip out the effects of the savings rate drawdown, 
and the effects of government spending. I mean, gov- government spending in real terms was 5% at an annual rate. We Last time we had that was in 2009. Um, so if you're taking a look at stripping out some of these things that I don't think are recurring, and of course we still have an inventory overhang, as the professor said, I mean, you strip out the savings rate, that alone, and government spending, that alone, and the economy actually was close to 0% in the second quarter. So I hope the Fed does some um, does a real deep dive into the data. Uh, I don't think they'll go 50 next week at one point. I thought they, they could. They they probably won't, but uh, I think that um, that they're going to be cutting rates pretty aggressively in the next year. I think that this economy is not out of the woods by a long shot. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you.